Welcome to Forward Radio. This is Truth to Power Happy Hour. I'm Hart Hagen, and we're going to talk about petrochemicals and fracking and plastics. I'm joined by Randy Pokladnik and Paul Brooks. Randy Pokladnik, PhD, is a retired chemist and teacher and volunteers for OVEC, Ohio Valley Environmental Coalition, on uh, issues such as fracking, plastics, and petrochemicals. Randy, how are you doing today? Good, thanks. And we're also joined by Paul Brooks. Paul Brooks is retired from the uh, Energy Cabinet, uh, where he served under Steve Bashir administration, uh, both administrations. And he uh, studied how to wrestle with renewables in a coal state and also fracking and uh, ethane crackers. So many people in our audience may not have heard the term cracker or ethane crackers. So how about, let's just talk about what, what are we talking about and why we're concerned. I know I'm concerned because, you know, it, it has to do with drinking water, it has to do with cancer rates, et cetera. But what is, uh, for example, an ethane cracker? Why are we concerned about it? Anybody? Well, I, I guess, yeah, you know, I can go first. Um, an ethane cracker plant takes ethane gas and in the cracking process, they use a lot of energy, but basically what they do is they take the single bond between the two carbon atoms and they turn it into a double bond. And then they have H2 gas left over. And then they can take that um, CH2 with the double bond and polymerize it and get polyethylene. And from that, that can be used in plastics making plants that extrude plastic and they make anything from your yogurt plate to your, you know, throwaway silverware. Well, don't we need more of that? I mean, everything's plastic. Don't we need more plastic? No, not at all. A little bit about myself, um, because I'm trying to get grocery stores to realize that everything can't be encased in plastic. And I'm going to be 66 next month. So I was born right as this was just hitting uh, the surface when we made 1 million tons of plastic a year. And, and now it's exploded to 350 million tons of plastic a year. And 40% plus of that is single use plastic and only 9% gets recycled. So what we're dealing with is a massive issue of this non-biodegradable polymer that's all over the planet. It's in drinking water, beer, it's in our feces, it passes through the placenta, it plasticizes flame charts. Uh, bisphenol A, phthalates, it's just like a Pandora's box of everything you don't want your children or your planet to be exposed to, yet we are proliferating this among all the nations of the world, and now we want the Ohio River Valley to be the second plastics hub in the, in the United States. So why don't you think more people know about this, uh, um, Randy or Paul? Yeah, Paul, go ahead, because you live in Louisville, and I know about it because I live up here right in the middle of it, but sadly, people in Columbus think it's a saltine plant, making saltine crack. <laughs> right. We got told that. Right, right. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Uh, first of all, uh, what you said, Randy, about uh, uh, the ubiquitous of plastic is, is exactly, exactly right. Um, it is projected to be a growth industry at 4% per year, and that's why uh, this uh, consortium of a Thai and Korean company are trying to come together to build a plant in Belmont County. Uh, there's a new plant going in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Uh, there's uh, it's just a 
whole bunch of it because it seems to be a, a growth industry. And yet we do have more, way more plastic in our environment than we need. Uh, then if we could learn to reuse it, recycle it, repurpose it, uh, then uh, there would not be a further need for, for the, these massive uh, chemical facilities. Um, and just let me, let me point out also that the cracker is, uh, is itself a unit operation that is like midstream of the process, upstream from the process, or first the fracking, and that, that, that's just a huge topic that we could get into unto itself. And second is the separation plant uh, that, that natural, natural gas that comes out of the well is a combination of lots of hydrocarbons, um, particularly ethane, methane, propane, butane, and, uh, and then it gets into uh, closer to liquids, but uh, those need to be separated in a cryogenic uh, distillation process, which is, not, which is a unit operation unto itself. Then the ethane goes to uh, the cracker, while the methane goes to uh, natural gas boilers, uh, if you will, for power production, and uh, butane, propane. Propane goes into your gas cylinder for your grill. So it's, it's a complex, uh, or not complex, complicated uh, chemical process uh, that uh, has all kinds of avenues for emissions, both to air and water of, of not very nice stuff. Uh, and that's why we need to be concerned about it. People are not aware of it because Sorry to say, these plants, whether it's in Belmont County, Ohio, or Lake Charles, Louisiana, tend to be built in lower income, economically stressed areas. Uh, and uh, it, there's just not a lot of publicity. Uh, in fact, there's positive publicity about new investment coming to town, new jobs, and new prosperity, uh, which may or most likely will not come true, but very little about the emissions and about the uh, overabundance of plastic in our in our society. I've heard that there's like something. I've I've heard different numbers, like uh, an eighty billion dollar initial investment, and then I've heard the figure four hundred billion dollars. Or, but we, we're talking about massive amounts of money uh, being invested in these things, and you know, as as usual the 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 propaganda goes the way of the money whoever has more money is able to you know have more propaganda more campaigns saying jobs 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 and uh, randy you've talked about how in the news the newspaper uh that you sometimes write for it's like industry propagandists are able to uh, you know, write a bunch of stuff in there, but then who speaks for the people? And um, you know, this reminds me of that. Like, I'm like, can we talk about externalities? You know, externality is, is a fancy economics term for companies shifting their costs onto us. They shift their costs onto us in terms of the health uh, issues that go along with this. They shift their costs onto us in terms of the uh, water quality, air quality, um, even maybe some of the economic things. So what, what are some of the costs that we face as a result of the, the cracker plants? 
Well, I, I think, um, you know, if you've read um, Dr. Thea Colburn's book, um, Our Stolen Future, and she talked about you know, petrochemicals and pesticides specifically in relation to the declining sperm counts. And then recently, Dr. Shauna Swan just published um, Countdown. And, you know, there's so many studies, all you have to do is get on the internet and type in peer-reviewed fertility issues, petrochemicals, and they'll just come up in abundance. Uh, and it's just, you know, disturbing as to, you know, the amount of information that's out there that's being completely ignored by these industries and local and state and federal politicians. We've gone to um, the air and water permit hearing for the, the Belmont County PTCG cracker plant. And, you know, EPA officials just poo-pooed off uh, any concerns for that. You know, one official even was to tell us that there were gas uh, stations in Columbus, Ohio, that put out more emissions than this, this uh, tractor plant would. Uh, and so a very little science-based information is divulged in any of these public hearings. And anytime you want to steer the conversation towards peer-reviewed studies, it never happens. And, you know, you get called a nutcase and a wacko and, you know, crazy environmentalist. And I've been called just about everything in the book, but it doesn't stop the fact that I do have a PhD in this field and I was a research chemist and I do rely on peer-reviewed data. I just don't make claims about this stuff. And it's disturbing to me as a grandmother that this is the planet that we're going to hand off to the next generation. Uh, you know, they will not be thanking us for this. And in addition to all the endocrine disruption and the, the lack of, um, you know, the ability to reproduce because our sperm counts have dropped over 50%, we're also causing issues like ADHD. They're talking about autism. They're talking about, you know, other, you know, respiratory illnesses from small um, sized particulate matter that's going to be in the air from these cracker plants. And it's, you know, it's, um, you know, I think, you know, Paul, you talked about Louisiana Cancer Alley. Do we want to be the next Cancer Alley? Is that what we want for the future of the Ohio River Valley? I mean, I, I grew up when the coal and the steel processes were going great guns in the 60s and the 70s, when it was rare that you saw a blue sky. We lived close to the coke plant that supplied weird and steel. It was less than a mile away from our home. And the air always stunk. And it was just accepted. Well, that's progress in the air. But we shouldn't have to. And, you know, put our lives and our children's lives at risk just to have a job. There are other ways to make money. And that's, this is just getting completely ignored. I'd like to pick up a little bit where, where Randy left off in terms of the health effects uh, current and especially long term for our children and grandchildren. You know, these are going to cost. And these are just what you said, uh, Randy, the, uh, excuse me, heart, the externalities uh, that are not. Uh, factored into the uh, price of the of the product, uh, so that uh, uh, this these firms come in and put together an investment investment package uh, based on a return on investment at the at the market price that nowhere near reflects the actual cost of the uh, the chemical. In this case, the uh, polyethylene um, should be priced. To, in, uh, to include those health effects, and whether it's in terms of uh, trusts or emissions controls or um, other, uh, other controls that uh, would stop this stuff from going on, it would price the polyethylene out of the current market. One report said that this uh, particular plant 
and it may be dated now, is on hold because of the uh, final investment decision um, had, has yet to be made. Well, that final investment decision is based on the price of polyethylene and for the price of polyethylene uh, is too high, that decision won't be made. Well, whenever I hear of something going out of business, like, you know, the fracking business not being profitable or the petrochemical business not being profitable, that some people celebrate that and say, yay, the, the, the market is going to take care of this. But the market never takes care of those externalities. You know, if something is in the it's in the tank, you, you know that it's just barely creeping along. It's still going to be creating a lot of costs. It's still going to be uh, polluting a lot of stuff. You know, just because it's profitable for uh, the concentrated capital, just because it's profitable for investments, investors doesn't mean it's profitable for the community. And why do we think we can invest in, why do we think the only type of wealth is money? The only type of wealth is financial capital. You know, health is wealth. If you don't have health, it doesn't matter very much uh, how much the wealth is. So we, we steal from our health to give to financial capital and we steal from our natural environment to give it to financial capital. And it, it's a big racket if you ask me. Yeah, it, it is. And I, I know like several years ago, um, Carroll County, which is the county just north of us and Belmont's to the east of us. So we're like the little three county uh, area where it's really heavily fracked. But Carroll County, um, did a, they did a study and they looked at things like prostitution, drugs, increases in food prices, increases in rent, and all the things that, like you said, externalities that don't get calculated into the price but the community and the people that live there. And they found out like a lot of, of the poor people in the community, when their lease was up, they literally kicked them out and then they tripled the lease and they were able to find transient workers that would come in and you know buy, buy the leases or, or sign leases with these um, apartment complexes. Then we also have the issue of these man camps. And I know there's a park in Caddis, Ohio, which is the capital of Harrison County and also the location of Mark West, and there's a man camp there where the park used to be. And it's just literally trailer after trailer with hookups for um, you know, their, their utilities. Um, and you have all these transient workers that you know, have lots of income, but no family here, no girlfriend here. And, and it is disturbing that the community, you know, the, the color of the community has changed. And just you don't feel as safe as you used to because you know that so many of these people are out-of-state workers just driving by hotels. You know, you can see the different states on them. So the, the, the issue of jobs, and that's always the issue that comes up in the public meetings, jobs, jobs, jobs. And, you know, I, I just don't even believe that it's mostly local people. We know, you know, for a fact that it's a lot of out-of-state people in these positions. Right. I remember reading a report by the Concerned Health Professionals of New York. I, I revisit it from time to time. It's like 250 pages or more, but it's about fracking specifically. Uh, but it's like, man, you, you, can, you only have to read that for like 10 or 20 minutes before you realize that this is, is, is horrifying. It goes through all of the different 
uh, harms, the social harms, you know, there's, there's health issues. And also, you know, we're talking about man camps. I, I remember I first heard that term from uh, the director of OVEC, whose name escapes me, Dustin White. And uh, it, it's like, you know, how do you count the cost of a community being disrupted? They say jobs, jobs, jobs. Many of them are temporary jobs, and uh, ultimately these plants are going to be, uh, you know, controlled remotely. So even the number of jobs are minimal. We've seen this so many times before. It it seems that the uh, um, local government, perhaps the state government as well, is is just uh, enamored with the idea of, of a big capital investment coming into uh, one of our counties. And uh, this has happened in Kentucky and, and any number of times on different issues. Uh, but the same, the same process repeats itself. They, government officials are thinking jobs. There are no jobs in the chemical process industry. There are very few. And they're thinking tax revenue. And yet the incentive to get the uh, uh, company to come into the location is full of tax deferrals and rebates and and, and excused uh, taxes, so the revenue doesn't come. And um, we we've seen the man camps. We saw them in the in the Dakotas when fracking first first started. And as soon as the uh, uh, price of natural gas dropped, the camps disappeared and they went on somewhere else. We see it in Louisiana. Now we're seeing it in Ohio. How many times? Do we have to see the same play over and over again before we learn the plot and the ending? Uh, it, it's, uh, it's boggling. So what, one thing we see here is capital always gets to make the decisions. We, we say we live in this big democracy. We've been told since we're knee high to a grasshopper that we, that we have this big democracy, that we're the world's leader in democracy and we're spreading freedom and democracy all over the world. And yet what we really have, and when money calls all the shots and money makes all the decisions, then that's not democracy. And uh, I, I like to say, I have this uh, meme here that I wrote up. It says, uh, I wish so-called climate activists would on rare occasion, rare occasion, step up and challenge the prerogative cap of capital to call all the shots and make all the freaking decisions in our culture. It's a free-for-all for big money. The people have only the tiniest degree of control. So one aspect of that is that the media serves the interests of big money. I mean, this is manufacturing consent by Noam Chomsky. It's like the media is not this fearless advocate, uh, you know, challenging power, advocating freedom, or, you know, shining a light on the truth. The media is no such thing, especially the corporate media. They're always going to bat for big interests. Uh, and, and, and so the, the message that keeps coming through is we need this for jobs. And it's hard for anybody who wants to shine a light on the cost of these operations to get a fair hearing. Yeah, that's true. In our area, so many of the local stations They'll always make sure if um, we have some kind of a meeting or some kind of a like a public viewing of um, the story of plastics that they go and get a comment from industry 
which always, you know, you know, tries to portray us as a radical environmentalist and we're out of state people. They said that one time. Um, we went to, <laughs> right, right. We went to the Falcon Pipeline um, to the uh, first meeting, that, the only public meeting that was held in Caddis in the high school. And there were at least a dozen cops lined up across the back of the high school auditorium. And when you're going into a building to, you know, a public meeting and you see that kind of police force, I can't believe that was there for any reason but to intimidate people that were there to speak. And they, this has happened so many times. My husband and I went to Little Washington to a um, meeting with federal people about um, the oil and gas industry and, and fracking. And it so happened that they allowed all of the workers to come in they gave them a half a day off they signed in and so basically there wasn't any room left for us to testify and a lot of people refused to leave we demanded to testify because we'd driven so far to get there and so i was testifying at 12 30 in the morning literally after midnight and i think i was one of the last ones to testify but these are just some of the little um ploys that they do to try to circumvent any public participation in the process. And, and you know, I just um, wrote comments this afternoon about the methanol plant in uh, Pleasance County, West Virginia, and they gave them one week for comments. That was it, one week, you know, during a time when we are, are in a pandemic and it's really hard to get information out and information about public meetings or any kind of comment period. So they, they do control the media, they control it, you know, the TV stations, they control the local newspapers, and it's very hard to get anything that's, um, you know, contrary to it's all wonderful and it's all good out there so people understand what they're really dealing with. And then the last thing, I, I, you know, I would mention is it's, I see like, as a scientist, the last 20 years or so, the dumbing down of America where so few people understand science and it's almost become like a dirty word. I mean, you know, especially under the last administration where scientists are denigrated and they're just treated as if they are, uh, I don't know, have an agenda, especially when it comes to climate change. You know, we, we see how many of the climate scientists have been ridiculed. So it's, it's really, it's, it's hard to stand up and speak truth to power and not feel like you're going to either get threatened or, you know, I've had people tell me that I'm lucky my tires haven't been slashed. So, so things like that, it's, you know, we don't, we don't have a democracy yet. We're, we're kidding ourselves if we think that we do. So you think the police were there to intimidate people? And then you talked about a subsequent meeting where they lined up workers to talk, but then the public, by the time the workers talked, the public didn't have a chance. Exactly. That's exactly what they did. And I do think it's a form of intimidation. There, uh, of course, there's a lot of money um, in terms of the corporate uh, largesse and the attorneys they hire and, and um, uh, the favors they provide for uh, officials. And, term, and that speaks uh, loudly against uh, Efforts like uh, like yours, Randy, and, and others like you, um, when you and you speak uh, hard of the of the media not standing up uh, for, I guess you'd say our side or the side of the the people, and I'd have to add to that, where are the environmental advocates uh, that that you 
just asked about a minute ago, where, you know, uh, where is Big Green? Um, where, where is, <laughs> we need an Aaron Brockovich for the uh, uh, Ohio Valley uh, Cantor Alley, but um, you know, groups are supposed to be advocates like 350 Sierra Club and um, even uh, Kentuckians for the Commonwealth. Um, and you just don't see them at these meetings uh, putting on the kind of uh, case and, and demonstration that would sway uh, the, the made up minds of, of the officials. So where's Big Green? Uh, we really need somebody to fight for us. And, and I would add that we do have in the cer cer certain circumstances, um, the Kentucky Resources Council uh, with Tom Fitzgerald and his staff that uh, that does get down in the weeds and fight fight uh, for uh, the state and for the the people in terms of permits. Um, we need more of that and on a bigger scale with uh, better funding. Let me address the issue of of where is Big Green. So you know everybody's busy and especially the people locally. The local members of Sierra Club are good, well-intentioned, and their heart's in the right place. Local members of 350.org 350 are, uh, you know, their hearts are in the right place. But uh, I'm going to drop a word bomb here, and it's called Planet of the Humans. I got so much pushback when I first brought that up in this community. And Paul, you're among the very few people that has ever responded positively when I, you know, recommended that you see it. Uh, it was a storm, a crap storm. I wish I could use stronger language. And uh, it, it, like the first third of the movie dealt with what are some of the problems and issues with so-called renewable energy. The middle third of the movie has to do with what are the problems with biomass and biofuels. Uh, and the last third of the movie is like, um, which, to which the critics have never responded. And that is, Big Green is bought uh, over and over again in Planet of the Humans. You see Michael Brune, head of the Sierra Club, um, you know, going to bat for so-called cleaner energy. And, um, and you have Michael Bloomberg giving $30 million, which was matched by another $30 million uh, that, uh, to, to the Sierra Club. And some of that was secret. Uh, and, then, and then it came out and you have people like Richard Branson uh, doing their shenanigans. And, but but the, 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 the big green organizations are compromised. It is a, uh, it's a surprise when one of them does continue to really stand up for power. They don't uh, stand up against power. They don't mind selling solar panels because that's a corporate product. It's a profitable corporate product. They don't mind selling windmills because that, those are profitable products and profitable development deals. And you could go on and on there. And they, there's this, there, you know, we associate, um, we associate climate action with these corporate products. And when, you know, we could be changing farming. Farming is one of the biggest issues. Uh, anyway, so I don't pretend to be able to prove all of this I'm just saying that that the um, some of the green organizations have been diverted and distracted 
and are not doing what they should be doing, which is standing up to money and power. And that leaves communities like Randy's by themselves to try to fight off big corporate uh, and big government. So what should we do, Paul? <laughs> and then we'll talk about fracking. Let's take a few minutes to talk about what you think would be a good course of action from here. And then we'll talk, get into some of the details about fracking. Well, mm. I, I just wanted to say as a teacher, a former teacher, I think one of the most important things to do is to educate people. You know, because I, I said, you know, a while ago, when my husband and I went to a meeting in Columbus, and it was about um, the first energy debacle here in the state of Ohio. Uh, and afterwards, it broke up, and a lot of people were just chatting in the hallway, and the cracker plant came up. And I was just shocked as to how many people who lived less than two and a half hours away from our county had no clue what a cracker plant was and what was even going on in the Ohio River Valley. And once you start to explain to people what's going on, or you start to point out some of these studies, then they become shocked and uh, you know, just like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't know this was happening. And, and then it also, you know, as far as our children go, um, we, we've been brought up in a world of convenience where nobody makes anything from scratch. It's all processed foods. It's all chemical foods. I, I mean, I jokingly say this, but in all seriousness, you need a chemistry degree just to go to the grocery store. And when you see all the different chemical compounds that you're exposed to from, from the morning when you wake up till you go to bed at night, from creams, cosmetics, perfumes, um, stuff in your food, uh, you know, things in your, in your house, the, the scotch guard on your, on your upholstery. I mean, it just boggles the mind. It, it is no wonder we have dropped fertility rates by 50%. I, I'm surprised it hasn't been more than that. But, but people don't understand that. They're not even aware of that. They have this um, Pollyanna rose-colored glasses idea that the EPA is protecting us. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. The EPA just rubber stamps these permits. I mean, how is it protecting the people of the Ohio River Valley to allow a cracker plant to go online that's going to put hundreds of tons of small particles in the air, that's going to put volatile organic compounds, hazardous compounds, and possibly spills into the river, you know, that's okay. That's okay. They get a permit to do that. It's, it's just, we, we just need to be educated and we need to wake up and, you know, get engaged and involved and, you know, do the small scale things like Kurt, you talked about, you know, the solar panels and the windmills and we have solar panels and that's all great, but there's so much low hanging fruit that we could address that we don't. We, we just see the big things and, you know, the glossy pictures of this stuff rather than changing our light bulbs or turning down the thermostat or carpooling or all the things that, you know, when I was in college in the seventies and we had the gas issue, you know, that people really learned how to make do with a little bit of gas and, and carpool and things like that, that would save money. Randy, that's spot on. The educational component, it cannot be uh, overstated. There, people, our children need to grow up learning uh, about these issues, uh, about sustainability, of, about poverty and hunger and people working together uh, as well as uh, pollution and chemicals. And yet what's in our elementary and uh, high school curricula? Uh, hardly a word. 
hardly a word, never a course. Uh, and, and it's very difficult to break into that, but it needs to be done. Uh, Randy, you mentioned volatile organic compounds. I remember the first time I heard that term and it was in a book called uh, Black Tide and it was about the Blackwater or how would it be? What? Deepwater. Deepwater Horizon. Uh, and so after she goes through a fairly dramatic story about how it happened, uh, she says, um, crude oil, this is Antonio Juhas, crude oil is toxic to humans, plants, wild, and wildlife capable of uh, causing serious debilitation and even death to any who come in contact with it. Crude oil contains high levels of volatile organic compounds, VOCs, such as benzene, toluene, and xylene. Benzene is a known human carcinogen. Toluene and xylene affect the central nervous system. Exposure can cause headaches, nausea, vomiting, fatigue, impaired speech, tremors, depression, cerebral atrophy, resulting in a decrease in the functions that of the brain controls, liver and kidney damage, cardiac arrhythmia, and death. VOCs are well-known chemical hazards that can cause acute toxicity, as well as longer-term health effects, such as cancer, birth defects, and neurological effects. And um, Randy, you said earlier today that we humans were, you know, are the, some of the main energy nutrients we have, proteins, carbohydrates, and, and fats, these are all hydrocarbons, am I right? They're- Yeah, carbon-based. Carbon-based, carbon so yeah. we absorb, so oil and gas have these, are, are carbon-based and they have these toxins in them. So it's natural for our bodies to absorb. So like absorbs like, right? Right. And, and, and that's the problem. I remember a long, long time ago, um, Bill Moyers that used to be on PBS, right. he had this test done where they take a, a very small needle and they do a biopsy, but they pull the fat, not from subcutaneous, the fat that you know ebbs and tides, depending on whether you lose weight, the fat that's around the organs that you're born with to keep your organs cushioned. So they pull a small sample of that and then they run it on a mass spectrometer, which can basically isolate all the different compounds. And he had close to a hundred different industrial chemicals in that fat. And of course he was in his sixties probably at the time, but the one that really rang the alarm for the people that were doing the study was the flame retardant. And they were scratching their heads trying to figure out how, you know, a journalist got a flame What's retardant. In furniture. Yeah. Well, it was the airlines when he, okay. he had flown so much and the airlines go in and they spray the upholstery because of the fire issue with these flame retardants and because he had been on a plane so often in, in his career that he just generally absorbed this. And you know, when I used to teach, the kids at the college would always tell me, do you think you'll ever get that done? And I said, no. I said, <laughs> and I, I just worry about everything else. I don't need one more thing to worry about. But I'm, I'm certain that we all do. We're, we're just little, you know, chemical, you know, you know, maps of everything we've ever been exposed to from the time we were born. And even like disturbingly so, because I breastfed our son, I was reading in this book many years ago when we were trying to stop the toxic waste incinerator, it was called Dying from Dioxin, which is another really the most dangerous, you know, compound, man-made compound there is as far as carcinogenesis. But they said one of the ways you can unload your body burden of dioxin is through breast milk. 
So <laughs> I oh. had to tell our son, well, I got to unload my body burden of dioxin <laughs> while you were nursing for two years. Sorry about that. Yeah. Thanks, mom. <laughs> right. <laughs> so dioxin, it reminds me of Agent Orange in Vietnam. Dioxin is also in, I think, 2,4-D uh, pesticide. If you if you see a perfect lawn, it's probably been sprayed with uh, 2,4-D because that's a broadleaf herbicide. It gets rid of the everything but the grasses. Am I on the right track with that? Yep. And it's very toxic. Mm -hmm. And see, so why don't we know these things? Why didn't I ever hear the the, the term volatile organic compounds uh, at an earlier age? I, I think it's just our, our systems are designed to, to filter out that kind of thing. Anything mm -hmm. that's adverse to commercial interests is tends to be filtered out of the commercial media. Well, I think Paul was right about teaching a class, uh, some kind of a sustainability class. I mean, it's, it's like years ago, you know, we all took, or at least I did, took home ec and you learned how to sew and the guys took shop and they learned how to work on cars and, and do some carpentry. And then those classes kind of faded out because it was deemed you didn't need them, whether that's true or not, I don't think it is. But we do need a class today on sustainability, on issues about what we're being exposed to and we're not getting, you know, really protected as far as, you know, our organizations and our agencies that are supposed to be protecting us. As, you know, I always tell people about the, the 1976 Toxic Substance Act, which was made, um, you know, to kind of quiet the issues of toxic materials, but they grandfathered in so many different chemicals, 60,000 plus that it was really didn't protect us. I mean, anything made before 1976, like bisphenol A was grandfathered in. So they just said, well, it's safe. We're just gonna you know, assume it's safe without any more toxicity testing and, and then we'll just move on from there. But you know, very few chemical compounds have really been tested for all the different effects, the endocrine disruption and the, the synergistic effects of being exposed to you know, 50 different compounds during your, your daily you know, walk through life with, creams and cosmetics and soaps and fragrances. And it all starts with uh, the Lorax, Dr. Seuss's book. I right. think that had ought to be required reading by uh, no less than second grade and, and move on from there uh, to, to learn not only about pollution, but about greed, mm -hmm. uh, which is at the root of so much of the pollution. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, so let's talk about greed. Some people say, well, you know, the capitalism, the, there's no other way. I mean, the greed, it's like, what's greed? There's a greed, when I think of greed, I think of self-interest. Everybody has a certain amount of self-interest. And somebody said, you know, show me a society that doesn't have greed. Yeah, I'm like, show me a society that doesn't have lust, but we don't organize everything around it, you know? Mm -hmm. But Paul, we, we haven't been letting you get a word in edgewise. So pretty, feel sure to feel free to jump in. You've got two talkative uh, people here with you. Oh, I, I feel like I've been uh, talking too much. Oh, but, uh, okay. but yes, the, the, the greed aspect, you know, we, we saw that so much in, uh, in state government and the energy department uh, where we would have annual grants uh, provided by the legislature to uh, give out money for worthwhile projects in, in energy development and uh, uh, research 
a lot of it went to the University of Kentucky, but uh, much of it uh, also went to uh, private enterprises that had good ideas for advancing um, uh, energy development in our in our state. And reading the proposals, it was part of my job in, in understanding what they were asking for. Um, not only did they most of the time violate the second law of thermodynamics and try to do perpetual motion, but it was at at the end of the day, how do they are these people going to take money and use it to make money uh, in in Kentucky? But uh, one of the best examples was uh, um, in uh, proposed development in Perry County for a biomass plant where they promised to take only the dead wood and use that to produce biomass. And uh, stop, <laughs> stop. Dead wood is good. Okay. So did I, I tell people in the native plant arena at that, you know, dead wood is good. A, a dead tree does more good when it's dead than, uh, you know, woodpeckers thrive on dead <laughs> trees. Uh, you know, dead leaves, limbs, and logs. Let your leaves, limbs, and logs lie because that, for one thing, it absorbs water. For another thing, it, it's, it's food for decomposers. There are birds that require, there are birds, for example, that live on the decomposing insects that decompose the leaves, limbs, and logs. So anyway, I, I, I hear people talking about there's a, a, a sustainable way to harvest thing. I mean, some, I have more questions than answers that about, uh, I don't, I don't, okay, biomass, bad. To me, biomass, <laughs> bad. I'd almost rather dig coal out of the ground. But uh, anyway, and it, it, I'm, I'm going to get, I hope nobody listens to this because I'm just saying too many things that are going to get me in trouble. But anyway. Well, just, just to, uh, uh, finish that little thing, you're right uh, in terms of, of the deadwood, of course, but we, we could see that from the capacity of this plant and the, and the vision of the entrepreneur that wanted to build this, this thing, there was not enough deadwood in this state <laughs> right. and the surrounding right. four states. He was in the middle of the Daniel Boone forest. Uh, and so where in the world was he going to get his raw material uh, next year, the year after that, and the year after that. Yeah. There was no doubt. Fortunately, the project didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And he's off trying to trying to swindle somebody else. But uh, <laughs> that was an example of outright greed. Well, Give, we, ha we have this anyway. mythology that says entrepreneurs create, um, create wealth and create jobs and create opportunity. There's some truth in that, that it's like, okay, government creates jobs. We, we can give teachers jobs. We can give fire. We, we give jobs to teachers, firefighters, and soldiers just to start with, because we think, I, I think soldiers are problematic, but, you know, teachers and firefighters, especially teachers, uh, caregivers, we can we need to switch from an economy of production to an economy of care. We need to stop all this obsession with innovation because, you know, it's like the people don't control what, how we innovate and the people don't control how that money is used. It's give, uh, you know, we, the government develops, um, you know, innovates and has medical based science and uh, electronics based research 
and special devices. And then that gets handed over to entrepreneurs to make money however they want. You know, and I appreciate a good entrepreneur. I appreciate you know, a good small farmer. I appreciate small local restaurants. There's a whole lot of entrepreneurism, but we need to get away from this mythology that says technology and innovation is this big thing. Um, anyway, I can't prove that, but. Well, and starting that is, is a big problem. I, I would venture to say that the person closest to Mayor Fisher's ear in our community is uh, the person who heads up economic development. And I would bet a lot that in Randy's community, the person closest to the mayor or the city council is the person responsible for economic development. And that means factories, it means jobs, it means listening to entrepreneurs and innovators with all these wonderful uh, schemes that are going to bring so much prosperity to the community. Uh, and yet, uh, there's really no one checking them and asking the tough questions uh, that people who try to do that, like Randy, don't get a hearing. Mm -mm. Okay. I don't know how to change that. Go ahead, Randy. Now, in Ohio, where they want to build the, the PTTG cracker plant, they've already invested $77 million in cleaning up the site because it was a brownfield. And that came mainly from um, Ohio, Jobs Ohio, and it's, it's uh, uh, I don't know if you call it a corporation. It was created by Kasich, our former governor, and it takes money that's uh, taxes on uh, liquor sales. And that's where they get the money from. So it's taxes. I, I guess the people that buy liquor in the state are paying, you know, for. And we just talk about how many different little startup facilities, uh, little small scale, you know, entrepreneur things that could have happened with that seventy-seven million dollars. Yet it was plowed into that site, and um, and now that site sits there waiting for uh, an investor to get online because they've lost one of their investors. But um, you know, it's it's. It's um, you know it's like you some you know you said before, Paul they they get um, they get so many incentives they get you know we'll ignore the taxes for twenty five years, and then one of the song and dances that um, the company said uh, to the little town of St Clairsville well we'll help you build a new school well you know rural schools are dying for money or they're falling apart at the seams so everybody jumps on that and uh, kind of ironic the the new school that was built in our county in Harrison. Uh, it's next door neighbor is going to be a new gas uh, power plant. And um, the beginning, the front of the school where the elementary kids go in is a little replica of a coal mine. So, the, you know, the, it's just perpetrating that, you know, it's almost like the worship of the fossil fuel. Like it's, you know, and, and, and nobody's denigrating coal miners or pipeline workers or people that, you know, you know, work in fracking because they're just, you know, people that want jobs, it's just that the company refuses to even share information with them about how dangerous it is. You know, when you're talking about fracking and people that drive these um, brine trucks back and forth on the little county roads and, you know, have the little tip overs and then you have the little local fire department coming in, trying to clean up the spill that has no idea, you know, how many Pico Curies could be in that water and that waste and where it's going and down into the streams. And I mean, if you, if you explain to somebody from another planet what fracking was, they, they would just destroy the earth and say, we're not even worth saving. I mean, it's just the crazy, it's as bad as smoking a cigarette. 
that I'm going to burn leaves and suck the smoke off of it. I mean, that's, I always think about fracking. I'm thinking, who came up with this idea to use all this water, make all this waste and destroy all this property for fossil fuels? It's crazy. Right. And the effect that it has, <clears throat> among other things, is to flood the market with oil and gas. So oil and gas is cheaper. So we use more of these things. Plus, there's, you know, there's an inescapable amount of methane that goes along with that, I think. But I, I wanted to echo what Paul was saying about economic development. Uh, there's this guy named Jeremy Edgeworth, who uh, I, I have a, he's with the Kentucky Department of Transportation. And he uh, is the like economic development with the Department of Transportation. And, you know, he's like a caricature for himself. Unironically, he was saying, Here, the, well, here's the economic impact of Kentucky waterways. And he's talking about $41.4 million of coal goes up and down Kentucky waterways and 35.8 million tons of sand, gravel, and salt. And like, this is a good thing. And 8.7 million tons of petroleum products. Like this is economic development. Like, because we're talking about big, big numbers that we want to be even bigger, like all of this is a good thing. And, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, and he's got this graphic that has the state of Kentucky on it. And like Kentucky in this graphic is like the target of a bullseye or it's a bullseye of a target. And I'm saying, you're messing with my state because this is this state is in my blood. I grew up here. I grew up playing in the creeks of Kentucky and you've got a target. It's, it's quite appropriate that Kentucky was the bullseye of this target with the idea being that we're, you know, we have all these waterways for transportation. You know, we've got the I-65 corridor and all that. And it's like, we're, we're going to make Kentucky into a sacrifice zone. We're going to practice heavy-duty extractivism, and we want to we want to extract even more sand, gravel, and salt, and even more tons of coal, and even more petroleum products because that's economic development. Don't get me started. <laughs> You're started. You're on a roll. <laughs> so let, let's let's talk about fracking. Just what what if somebody had never heard about fracking? What do they need to know? What, what, what is fracking and then what can we do about it? Why should we not want fracking? If we, in fact, we don't, we might want fracking, but talk to me. I would say like the two things that, I mean, there's lots of things that disturb me, but the two as a chemist are the fact that um, there's, you know, hundreds of chemicals that they use in the frac fluid that they inject down into these bores and, um, a lot of them are not even um, registered or reported because they're considered proprietary. proprietary. So we don't know in some cases what's in that mixture, just kind of guessing, even though we've been told at meetings that we've got those same things underneath, underneath our kitchen sinks, which you know, not underneath my kitchen sink, as I've said before. Uh, and that's one issue. And then when they're done, and they pull back and you know pull out the produced water, which in addition to the chemicals that they've already placed down inside, it's going to pull up the brine that's been down there from the ancient seas that covered you know that this part of the, the planet millions of years ago. 
And then the radioactivity that comes up, you know, the, the teen or the technically enhanced naturally occurring radioactive material. And then that gets trucked to an injection well and, and deemed to be safe or in some cases sprayed on roads. In Ohio, it's allowed to be um, made into aqua salina, which is a de-icer that they sell to the public in some hardware stores. Uh, you, you just, you can't make this stuff up, you know. Just like, say the same thing. Gosh, you can't, it's, it's like, like dystopia it's has arrived. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's scary. <laughs> so let me see if I get this straight. When you're, when you're fracking, you pump lots and lots and lots of water into the ground. And this water is laced with proprietary chemicals. We don't even know totally what's in those chemicals. And then you, you create these little explosions which free up the oil and gas. And then you suck all that back out. Some of what you suck back out is gonna be oil and gas that has uh, some type of use and then and then you're left with all this toxic water that you have to do some this toxic water is permanently toxic mm -hmm. this water is going to be toxic until a thousand generations from now it's Correct. permanently toxic and then they have to go store it somewhere and they want to ship that toxic frack water up the ohio river so that it will be upstream from us <laughs> What could go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's all about the fossil fuel. Uh, that's that's how it came about. And uh, the discovery of the Marcellus Shale uh, formation from Pennsylvania down through Ohio and West Virginia uh, was a, uh, just a, a boom time for uh, the uh, gas industry to what uh, you one aspect is it has uh, significantly displaced coal for power generation. Uh, thank you, Randy. Uh, we, <laughs> we, we can't uh, mine and sell Eastern Kentucky coal anymore because it's uh, too expensive uh, compared to natural gas, which we used to say in the energy cabinet. What's the future of coal? What's the future of, uh, of, of mining jobs? And the answer was, it all depends on the price of natural gas. It had nothing at all to do with the coal itself or with the uh, other aspects of the economy. But it's this reliance on the fossil fuel. And now we sell this lie that if we burn uh, gas for power generation, uh, we're doing the planet a big favor because we're not burning coal. So you only get right. half it's, the poison. <laughs> it's it's cleaner. I like Michael Bloomberg. If you look at Planet of the Humans, especially the last third of it, time after time after time, you see Michael Bloomberg and Michael Brune saying this is cleaner energy, cleaner. Uh, and and you, you, so you need currently, presently, under current technology, you need um, a fossil fuel backup for solar. Yeah, I mean, you need either nuclear or gas or coal plants to back up because the wind doesn't always blow, the sun doesn't always shine. So people in, but meanwhile, people in Kentucky are uh, celebrating the demise of coal and the story that we're told that is a false narrative, it is deceptive and misleading, is that the reason coal is declining is because renewables are getting so cheap. Solar and wind are getting so cheap. 
maybe there's some truth in that, but what they're not telling you is that they're replacing coal with natural gas from fracking, fracked natural gas. So all of these health problems, all these environmental problems we're talking about, they're, they're, they're running in the background and we've just replaced one fossil fuel with another and we're being told it's cleaner, but is it cleaner? You tell me. Yeah, I, I just know like Cambridge, Ohio, they're building a new power plant there. Uh, Ohio State University is building their own fracked gas power plant exclusively to supply only Ohio State University. And there's two being built in Carroll County and there's one being built in Harrison County so far. So we know as long as this goes on, it's not gonna end fracking. There's gonna be a reason to frack because now we have to supply, we, we just, like you said, we created one monster for a different monster. They're still bad. It's, it's, we're still in the same, you know, position that we were with coal. We're still making CO2. And, you know, whenever you bring up CO2, then of course the industry's new, new uh, answer to that is we're gonna, we're gonna use carbon capture and sequestration and everything's gonna be fine. We're just gonna suck that all out of the air and zillions of dollars to do that and shoot it down in the ground. And it's just completely asinine. Hey, yeah. If you believe that, I've got a coal mine that I'd like to sell you. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, we have a couple of minutes left, if that. I'm going to, uh, let's share, um, what is it, if anything, that gives you a little bit of hope? And to me, what gives me hope is that we can always talk about this. Uh, people are in the dark because they haven't been told. People won't know unless you tell them. So I'm happy that we're here telling people about something. Uh, problem identified as half solved. And I think we're here doing the right thing. And our listeners are doing the right thing by listening in. And that's what gives me hope. I'd say what gives me hope is the younger generation. I think a lot of them are awake now and I think they realize that it's in their hands because we failed them. We've done a horrible job. We've, we've passed on a very damaged planet. So my hope is that the youth gets energized and keeps energized and gets engaged, runs for office and um, that we can you know, stop this or try to turn it around somehow before it's too late. Randy gives me hope. Uh, it's a citizen who will stand up and speak truth to power and then who won't take, sit down and shut up for an answer. Uh, and I, I admire the work you're doing and uh, I would just love to see or, or become involved with more folks who are doing the good work you are doing and getting into this kind of good trouble. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And thank you both for joining me. This has been another episode of Truth to Power. And uh, thank you for listening. Come back soon, uh, our listeners, and uh, have a great week. <laughs>